What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you bleed green? Are you an ultimate Eagles football fan? Well, you're in the right place. Well, you're in the right place. This is Bird 365, hosted by the new Mac and Mac, Jody McDonald and John McMullen. Who collectively have covered and talked about more than 50 plus years of Eagles football. Kick off your day with Birds 365. You'll get debate. We love to argue. You'll get the real story from inside the locker room. And you'll hear from some of the great football minds from around the region. You're about to become an Eagles insider. Get in the game. Join Jody Mack and Johnny Mack and join the football community that flocks to Birds 365. Birds 365 starts right now. Welcome to the NFL. Let's go! Let's go! Go! And a good football morning, Birds fans. Thanks for getting up and streaming in with us on Birds 365. Bright and early. You got your Mac and Mac guys both up and ready to rock. John McMullen and Jody McDonald. We got two really good guests. Uh, we're going to take you on a little bit of stroll down Eagles memory lane today. We'll give you details on that coming up in just a second. Uh, Johnny Mac, two weeks to the day. Two weeks from today, the Eagles will officially open up the training camp. John McMullen will get his first on field. Are you guys on the field or off to Sunday? No, not till Wednesday. So for right, us, I was going to say day after. Tuesday's reporting day for the Eagles. So the players will be in. Um, you know, in the old school days, you would stake out Westchester or Lehigh and, you know, try to get a, 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 a a sound bite from the players walking in, but now you can't even do that because 
NovaCare complex is secured. So unless they allow us in there and they don't until Wednesday. So yeah, a lot of things have changed, but players report two weeks from today. So it's getting dangerously close to 2023 football season. Uh, but as we make our way through the summer that leads up to the actual season, it's the seasons of lists. It's the seasons of looking back at things gone by. It's the seasons of projections and predictions. And we'll mix a lot of that in with you today, including John McMullen and Ed Kratz's list of the top 25 Eagles coming into the 2023 season when not 23 deep, but we're getting damn close. You cracked the top five today, John. We ran down the guys that were blatantly obvious going to be in the top five. The question was what order they were going to come out in. And your number five is the Eagles. Is it fair to say best pass rusher off last year and projecting? Oh, yeah. This year? Yeah, it's fair to say. 19 and a half sacks. It's fair to say when you include the postseason. Um, yeah, Hassan Reddick was uh, tremendous last season. Um, yeah, and he's the guy. He is the guy when it comes to that 70 sacks. He's the he's the cleanup hitter on the 70 sacks. So um and and on our list, the number one defensive player on the Eagles. I think that's also fair to say. Uh coming off last season, and it's evidenced by the fact that he was fourth in the defensive player of the year voting. Um, you know, that's that's pretty good. I think people are upset by that, but that's pretty good. Um, I, I think uh, Nick Bosa was one. Uh, he wanted, uh, I know Chris Jones, I forget. Um, I forget. I wrote it and I forget who number two was, but uh, either way, um, he, he had a tremendous, tremendous season. And all at the outside linebacker position, which is very impressive. I knew I'd get John to go with that one. Uh, he's not a linebacker. Overhang so. player. You know, get back to our Jonathan Gannon terminology. Do you do you, you like overhang better than I edge? Like, I do like overhang, but that's your fight in the losing battle. Yeah, I, I uh, like. Because, you know, they're trying to describe what the player is in their own inside the the building. That's what they call it. Um, that's what they call the position. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a losing battle. So edge, yeah, I, edge is the best you can do. Yeah. I like edge better than overhang, but just again, we're, we're getting into a semantical debate and splitting airs. Here's the best way to determine it for you fans who want to continue to try and make a case for Hassan Reddick being a linebacker. And again, yes, the Eagles are the ones who are deploying him. They're the ones who are putting him in the position and asking him to do X, Y, or Z on a given play. I think the best way to determine it is the way that they break out when they're not on the field into meetings. They have an overhang coach. They have an edge coach. Nicobe Dean is not in the same meeting with Hassan Reddick, okay? So if they were linebackers, those guys would be in the same meeting room with the same coach. They're not. They have their own positional coach, defensive ends, and the quote-unquote overhang or edge players. He's an edge guy, plain and simple. Just leave it at that. He's not a linebacker. I know the terminology changes, and we got two really good guests who've been around for a long time. 
when linebackers were actually linebackers and there were either three or four of them out there on the field on any given play. That's just not the NFL in 2023. What we know is Hassan Reddick's going to be a big-time contributor on the Eagles' defense this year. 19 and a half sacks is a big friggin' number. Uh, he's going to be hard-pressed to do that again. I don't know how many times we said this during the offseason. The Eagles as a team and Hassan Reddick individually – they're going to have a very difficult time reproducing what they did last year as far as numbers go. Doesn't mean they can't be as good, if not better, even with lesser numbers, right, John? Yeah, I mean, I, I, they could be a better team. I, I'm, I'm with you. They're not going to get 70 sacks. They're probably not going to be the number two defense. They're probably not going to be the number one passing defense. But if you win the Super Bowl, um, you know, technically, we, we'll we'll have that discussion probably with with Ray Dinger. And you know, I remember Ray saying, you know, somebody asking Ray, "Is this the best Eagles team?" And Ray's been around for all of them. Um, and and he said, "Yes, but they have to win." This was before the Super Bowl, and they didn't win. Um, and I know that's your thought process too. If you don't win, you're not the best. No. So ultimately, you know, when people look back and I use the Phillies World Series team because they had they had better teams than the team that won. But that team will always be remembered. Uh, so if they win the Super Bowl, it doesn't really matter if they're number one on defense or number or have 70 sacks. But, yeah, that's a long way off. So could they win the Super Bowl? Sure. Are they going to be as good statistically? Probably not. So that's, you know. The, the only can... good part about it is that I don't think Eagle Nation will harp on it because there were so few Jonathan Cannon fans that they're not going to want to put Sean Desai on blast because, oh, maybe I shouldn't say it. Maybe, maybe they can uh, build up some. Uh, non-tolerance for Sean Desai as quickly as they did for Jonathan Gannon. Uh, just a change for change sake and Eagles fans thought process might be enough to uh, let it slide that the Eagles are only the fourth ranked defense. So they're only on pace for 58 sacks halfway through the season rather than the 70 and people will still be okay with it because it's not Jonathan Gannon, but we'll see about that. We haven't mentioned Gannon in a while and uh, it's one that you and I get a lot of feedback on that uh, we were both more Gannon fans than detractors. How bad is it going to be for him out in Arizona this year? I, I think he's got a bad football team. His quarterback isn't going to be ready to start the season. Uh, they added some upgrades in the draft because they were as bad as they were last year. But still, uh, I Buda Baker's situation still to be determined. I think Arizona's going to be a really bad football team. And when they come to uh, the link this year, it could be a beatdown of epic proportions. How tough is Jonathan Gannon's first year as a head coach going to be? Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be bad. I mean, you know, and you know, if he wins four or five games, he's going to be overachieving. I, I think a lot of it has to do with um. Kyler Murray and how quickly he can get back on the field. Nobody knows that yet. Nobody knows how cautious they might want to, you know, they might want to tank the season. Who knows how they're going to, they have a new oh. GM. They have a new GM. They might want to go after Caleb Williams. Who knows? Um, you know, he's not, he doesn't have any skin in the Kyler Murray game. Now he's got to figure out how to get past the contract. Um, 
But I think a lot of it has to do now. The good news for Jonathan Gannon, he's very close to Monty Osenport. That's why he has the job. That's why the tampering, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I, I don't think it's going to be one and done, like a lot of people are saying. Now, if you start talking about 0 and 17, yeah, maybe it's one and done. Um, but I, you know, I'm on, I think he's a good football coach. I think most people know him. Nick Sirianni will tell you he's a good football coach. I think if anything, he will overachieve uh, to a certain standpoint. But that's one of the things about this generation. They do not like most players do. And you see it with Buda Baker. You saw it with DeAndre Hopkins. You'll eventually see it with every good player they have. They do not want to play on rebuilding situations. Now, back in the old days, not everybody, there were still people, but there were a lot of people who took pride in building something from, you know, so, you know, the foundation up. That's difficult, man. And that's something that both Monty and, and Jonathan have to deal with. How do you deal with it? I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. But, you know, go 180 for Nick Sirianni. Nick always mentioned Nick is very aware that for a first-time head coach, he landed in a good situation, good offensive line, good defensive line. Oh, Coming yeah. off a bad season, and much of that bad season had to do with the injuries on the offensive line. Talent on the offensive and defensive line. He knows he got lucky because typically you're in a situation like Jonathan Gannon or Shane Steichen where you're in complete rebuild mode. You're right, Sirianni in a much better position than either of the two guys who decided to go elsewhere this year off the Eagles staff last year. And a quick aside, and we got uh, Ray Dittinger scheduled to join us coming up in uh, a little over five minutes from now. I remember having a conversation on the field at Yankee Stadium. This was years ago. Uh, I was up covering a Yankee game, and Lee Mazzilli was the Yankees' first base coach, I believe. And I knew Mazzilli from his Mets days. Um, and there were rumors flying that the Tampa Rays were going to offer Lee Mazzilli the uh, managerial position. And the Rays were just terrible. This was before they got certain people in place and they became one of the best building organizations in all of baseball. They were last place every year running for three or four straight years. There's a bad uh, expansion baseball team. And rumors were So I saw Mazzilli on the field and I knew him well enough to be able to go and talk to him off the record. And I said, you're not going to take that job, are you? I know that you want to manage, so you're a big name and the Yankees are good. So you're not. He goes, of course, I'm going to take that job. I said, why would you want to? You, you're, you know you're being hired to be fired. It's not going to turn around anytime. Why the hell would you want that? To? He said, Jody, there's 30 of them. And you never know if you're going to be offered one again. So yeah. when someone offers you the position to be one of 30 guys on the planet, you say yes. And maybe it had to do with my upbringing, where it's coming from, a non-player, whatever. I said, no, you don't. I would I would rather keep spinning the wheel to see if my name came up somewhere else where I had a chance than take a no-chance operation. Did Gannon make a mistake? I know he was close to getting a Houston job last year, so it probably got a little frustrating on him, but he's still one of the more respected assistant coaches, call him what you want, coordinators, aspiring head coaches in the league. He make a mistake by taking that Arizona job? No, uh, I, you uh, know, and, and I, I, I listen to Lee Mazzilli. Uh, well, I disagree and, and, with both of you. 
now now part of it's what Lee said, but also you have an added layer in the NFL versus Major League Baseball. You know, maybe that's maybe your theory's more of a, a an option for a Shane Steichen because he's an offensive guy. If you throw on top that you're a defensive guy yeah, and you get a head coaching off, offer, you you got to take it. But the second and then the second part for Jonathan Gannon, he's very close with the GM. They're friends. So it's actually a perfect situation for him personally, um, A, getting a job as a defensive guy because it's really hard uh, in the modern NFL, and two, being with a GM that you're so close to. And in theory, you're going to have a bit of a honeymoon period. And then you gotta you gotta have confidence in your ability and confidence to turn things around, which I'm sure he does. But the first year, it's not gonna be good. It's not gonna be easy. Um, but yeah, I I I understand what Lee Mazzilli was saying. One of thirty, one of thirty-two in the NFL. But again, even worse in the NFL, Jody, from the perspective of a defensive guy, it's not one of thirty-two. It's like you're very limited to to teams that are looking. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, especially in this era. Here's one thing that I will say for Gannon going forward. I, I Someone should do the, the research on it, like Ray Dinger, who's a great researcher, unlike Jody McDonald, who's not. <laughs> How many guys get that second chance? The percentage is okay. It's not, not minimal, but a lot of guys, even after not getting the job done as their first time as a head coach, get a second chance. People forget that Bill Belichick coached the Cleveland Browns and yeah. got yeah. a second chance, and he kind of went on to New England to become Bill Belichick. Uh, so a lot of times you do get a second chance as long as you're just not god-awful the first time. Here's a problem. I think the Cardinals are going to be god-awful, and this will be the only time, Jonathan. Get. Add to the fact that John McCall rightfully states defensive guys you're swimming upstream to begin with anyway. Good luck getting that second job, Jonathan. All right, our next guest is had our first guest of the day, has had many a job, written for many a newspaper, written many a book, television, radio, you name it, he's done it when it comes to chronicling the Philadelphia Eagles. The great Ray Dinger joins us next here on Birds 365. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. And the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. The greatest fans on earth. It's a bold statement, but would you expect anything less from Philadelphia? 58 years of heartache creates a toughness, a grit, a resolve not found in most. Sure, our prayers were answered, but now that we've had a taste, we're looking for more. Pondley Hockey, official partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Go passionately, go fearlessly, 
Go confidently. Go <clears throat> Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years, and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. Go and go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. All right, did you know I was the mommy slam dunk champion? Really? <laughs> yes, really don't sound so surprised. Let's see it. Oh, you're ready. All right, here we go. Let's hear the crowd. So go to right, go to look, fake a mama. Mama, go, oh, mama! She did it. Again, you can't avoid gravity, but United Healthcare can help you avoid financial surprises by helping you compare costs and doctor quality ratings. United Healthcare. Uh huh. G-L-E-S, that's what we're here to talk about. John McMullen, John McDonald on Birds 365, and there's no better guy to do it than our next guest. Uh, he has only been chronicling the Philadelphia Eagles for 53 years. Uh, as good as it ever gets at doing so, Ray Dinger, good enough to join us here on Birds 365. You look relaxed, Ray Diddy. Yeah. <laughs> Feeling pretty relaxed, Jody. I am, as a matter of fact. Yeah, it's good to be with you guys. Good uh, on you. Good to see you, uh, Ray. And I love when you have the Emmys up. It's like Emmy Day on Birds 365. <laughs> I, lo- I, I love that. But, Ray, uh, I want to mention Ray's book, One Last Read, The Collected Works of the World's Slowest. Uh, yeah, I got one too. World's Slowest Sports Writer. Uh, it's coming out in paper book. I think it's apropos of Ray because it's Amazon Prime Day. So maybe people can get a deal, go there, wherever you get your books. Uh, but thrilled to have you here. And I, I want to start before I, we get into the Eagles. We're going to get into plenty of the Eagles. But the New York Times yesterday got rid of its uh, um, sports department. And, and I just thought that was apropos. We're going to have Ray, Hall of Fame writer. Um, just depressing. When you saw that, and yet the New York Times, Ray, getting rid of their sports desk. Just your thoughts on that. Yeah, sort of gives new meaning to the term sign of the times, because it is. I mean, that's kind of where the newspaper industry is going. And I say that with great sadness, because that's that's where I started, and that's where I spent most of my career. And, you know, in my mind, I've never really stopped being a writer. So when I see that part of the business withering and dying, it, uh, it makes me really sad. I you know, the way it works now, I mean, I read all the stories and they say that, well, nobody on the actual sports department is going to be let go as such, yeah. but they will be reassigned. Um, but the sports, the whole sports coverage will now come from the uh, from the Atlantic, which they had purchased. I'm sorry, the Athletic, the athletic yeah. which, which they had purchased, not, not the Atlantic, the Athletic, <laughs> which they had purchased. And uh, they're going to now provide the sports coverage. But 
you know, if that can, if they can just liquidate the sports department of the New York Times, you know, where does this stop? Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's uh, a rough thing, John and Jody, that, uh, you know, a lot of times I get asked to go to colleges and talk to journalism school, journalism students. Uh, you know, and when kids are you know, in college or studying journalism, the obvious question they would ask, as I would have asked in their places, you know, okay, what are my job prospects? Where do I go from here? What do you tell them now? You yeah. know, what do you, what do you tell them now? I mean, when I was coming out of Temple in 1968, it was purely a newspaper world. I mean, there was no cable TV. There really was no sports talk radio. I mean, everybody got their information from the newspaper. I mean, you guys are old enough to remember that. Yep. Uh, and now, and now we're living in a world where newspapers have become rather irrelevant and now we're, we're approaching a time where they're almost going to be non-existent for so what do you tell young people oh hey hey kids go out there and get in that industry and make your mark you know and i in good conscience you just can't do it it's a yeah. really i'm i'm just glad that i'm kind of where i am in my career and i'm not that kid coming out of temple right now because i don't know where i'd go to look for a job yeah. Forget about ink, ink stained. All you need to know is .com. If you want to be a journalist, you want to be a writer, you're going to be doing so on an internet site. Uh, you're I, right, Jody. That, that's, that's where you got to go. That's about the only avenue that's left. Uh, I hate to do this very early in the show, very early in an interview with Ray. I got to throw the challenge flag. Uh, Ray Dinger <laughs> retired from NBC Sports Philadelphia, except he didn't. He was back again last year. <laughs> Ray Dinger retired from WIP. Except he didn't. He jumps on shows and contributes all the time. When I see the title of your book, One Last Read, why do I doubt it, Dinger? Uh, why do I think that that's not happening, that there's going to be another Ray Diddy book to be read? <laughs> um, I'm not making any promises. Uh, there it is. There it is. He's no. giving himself a backdoor. No, no, not really. Not really. I mean, when I it was last a year ago, May, um, <laughs> when I did announce my retirement and it was with full intention of retiring. Um, I mean, if the Eagles had not gone off on the run that they did, I probably would be retired. And I, I really was for, for really the bulk of last football season, I was out of the fray. I mean, I was going to see my granddaughter play field hockey on Saturdays, instead of sitting in with Glenn, as I had done for 22 years, I was going out to watch my two grandsons play organized football and I was really enjoying it. Uh, but, you know, the Eagles season went on that historic trajectory and come December, both WIP and NBC Sports Philly said, hey, listen, you know, we're, it's obvious these guys are going to the playoffs. Would you come back and work the postseason with us? And, you know, given the way the season was going, how could you say no? Right. Yeah. Well, did. Uh, but that was and none of this was planned. And none of it to me really Rep represents coming out of retirement. It's just that the Eagles kind of rewrote the script for me. Yeah, man. I, you know, we've talked about that a lot, Ray, and you're great to talk because you've seen all these Eagles teams, the legendary teams, the Super Bowl 52 team going back to 1960. Uh, you know, you know the history of this organization better than anyone. I'm I'm a Johnny come lately. I've been here since 2016 covering this team. Uh, you know, covered the NFL since the mid nineties, uh, covered the 98 Vikings. I always said that was the best team I covered uh, until last year. And I covered the Super Bowl 52 team, but I think last year's team 
was better. Um, they didn't finish the job. Where are you in the when it comes to history that that team last year uh, is sort of in franchise lore, so to speak? If they had if they had won the Super Bowl, you probably would have had to say they were the best team. Uh, you probably would have had to say that. The fact that they didn't, you can't say that now. At least I can't. Um, I, I've I've said all along that I still believe that the greatest Eagles team, and nobody remembers this, uh, was the 48-49 back-to-back world champion teams, which if you look at their statistics, uh, to me, rank with one of the great franchises ever. Uh, I mean, they're, they're still, they, they, they were the first and they are still the only NFL team to win back-to-back championship games by shutout. Uh, that had never happened before. Uh, it has never happened since. Uh, and they did it. I mean, they shut out the Chicago Cardinals 7-0 to win the first one. And then in 49, they came back and shut out the dynamic Los Angeles Rams offense with two, not one, but two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, Waterfield and Van Brocklin, shut them out 14-0 to win back-to-back shutout championship games. And we're just dominant in a way that you just don't see teams be dominant with Van Buren and Bednarik and all those guys. So I felt all along that that, I felt all along that was the best team ever. Uh, and I've tried to make that case. But if the Eagles had actually finished the journey last year and they had beaten the Kansas City Chiefs, looking at everything they'd accomplished all during that season, you could have had a pretty good argument. But, you know, when they when they lost and, you know, it's 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 still to me a very tough loss to swallow because I still believe they were the better team. It's yeah, so funny. So I mean, when they, you know, when they beat the when they beat the, the Patriots in Super Bowl 52, I didn't think they were, but they pulled it off and they won it. Last year, I thought they were the better team and to lose it in the fashion that they lost it really, really stinks. Still does to this day. Ray, let me ask you this question, and I'm sure you've been asked it before, but maybe not in a while. Um, The Philadelphia Eagles will attempt to go from going to the Super Bowl and losing and going to the Super Bowl and winning. History tells us that's very difficult to do. Mm -hmm. When you go to the Super Bowl and you lose, your prospects for next year just haven't worked out. If you're purely judging what the results have been for the NFL since they started the Super Bowl, not a good proposition, not trending well going forward. Why is that? Why is it as difficult? The results are what they are. That it's uh, uh, virtually impossible. I want to say impossible, but uh, the numbers are against you. Going from losing a Super Bowl to trying to win one. Why is it so difficult to task? Well, I think you have to start with the numbers, uh, and they're pretty scary when you look at them. I mean, other than the Eagles game, the the previous 56 Super Bowls, 56, that's a pretty good – that's not a small sample. Right. (laughs) 56 of them, uh, only eight of the teams that lost got back to the Super Bowl the next year. Eight out of 56. Just I'm not even talking went back and won it. Right. Just back. Eight out of 56. Um, so that's not a coincidence and that's not an accident. It's, it's, it's hard. It is really hard. Now, part of it are the obvious things that the league, that the league creates with the tougher schedule and lower draft picks and all that kind of stuff. Um, that makes, and free agency losing players, obviously teams that go to the Super Bowl, their coaching staff gets rated. So you have to kind of, in, in the modern era of football, if you go to the Super Bowl, you, you were faced with a fair amount of rebuilding the next year. That's part of it. 
And then the schedule gets tougher and that makes it tougher still. But a big part of it, having interviewed guys that have been in that situation over decades, uh, the, the thing that you hear uh, them say over and over again is just emotionally, it is so tough. It just takes so much out of you to have, have fought your way all the way through a long season, then the playoffs, to get to the Super Bowl, and then to get there and lose. Uh, and then come back the next year and have to start all over again and just start that climb all over again. Guys say it's just just emotionally, it just drains you. Now, some teams can overcome it and some teams come back and they do succeed, but it's very hard. And that's what that's the reality of it. And that's what each of these individual guys has to face. And that's what the whole coaching staff has to face is that that moment of standing at the bottom of the mountain and looking up and saying, Oh boy, here we go again. Uh, yeah. And being able to pull that off over the course of a season and a season in which everybody's painted a bullseye on you. The media attention is greater. The pressure is greater. Your fans expectation is greater. That's a tough rock to push up that hill. Uh, and that's why some really, really good teams haven't been able to do it. I mean, the perfect example, and I remember this was, was the Miami dolphin team with Marino, you know, when Marino got yeah. there, in his second year, yeah. setting all these records, looks like the, the best young quarterback that had come along in a generation. You know, they go out to Palo Alto and they lose to a great 49er team. Certainly no embarrassment there. Uh, and when it's over with, you know, I remember Marino coming into the press conference and saying, well, this is really disappointing, but, you know, we'll be back. You we'll know? be back, yeah. And, and, and who doubted it? I mean, a young Nobody. Nobody. Kid. We all thought he'd be there a bunch of times. You know, and, and Shula's yeah. your coach. And, yeah. you know, I mean, everybody said, oh, yeah, they'll they'll be back. Absolutely. They yeah. never got back. No. Nope. And so, you know, it's, that history will tell you that. So that's the challenge that this Eagles team faces this year. Yeah, you mentioned, Ray, the, the rating of the coaching staff. And we've been through this in Philadelphia recently. If you look at Andy Reid's first coaching staff, it's legendary now. All the names that ultimately became head coaches. And Andy had a phenomenal run here. But as the attrition on the coaching staff continued and continued, it got more difficult. It got more difficult to replace those guys. I remember sitting in the bar in Minneapolis after Super Bowl 52 saying, all right, Doug Peterson's got a lifetime dispensation card. I mean, he just won the Super Bowl for Philadelphia. It turns out that was three years. Um, You know, losing Frank Wright, John DiPolippo right away, coming off the Super Bowl, that had a big impact. First time with Nick Sirianni losing both coordinators – We've had some interesting feedback on that. Randy Mueller's a friend of the show, former NFL executive of the year, said it's a big deal. We've had some other people say, eh, not that big of a deal. Where are you on that scale of really big issue? It's okay. Everything's fine. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know, John. I don't, I don't, I don't know because I, I don't know that much about the two guys that are coming in. You know, I don't have I don't have a really good sense of, you know, a lot of times you lose one coach, but you hire another coach that's got a track record or you have some kind of a, you have, you've had some experience with him or you've heard talk around the league about people saying, oh, this guy's a, a really good coach and he's the guy who comes in and you feel pretty confident that, OK, you know, they'll be fine. 
Um, I really don't know that much about these two guys. I mean, I, I you know, I know Johnson was here last year and, uh, and the fact is he's worked with Jalen Hurts and has history with him going way back. And on the, on a, on its face, you would say that sounds okay. You know, and the new defensive coordinator, and we have a little bit of an idea of where he came from. He has a history with Vic Fangio and so forth. Okay. But let's see, you know, let us see. Uh, I mean, you're quite right in pointing out, I mean, one of the thing, one of the reasons why, the Andy Reid team kind of went the way it went uh, towards the end really was a big part of it. People really underestimate the attrition of the coaching staff and how much, how big of an impact that had. I mean, you look at how good those guys were and when they left, you know, and, and Andy tried to do the loyal thing and promote from within and promote his guys and give them that opportunity. Um, You know, but when you got, John Harbaugh leaves and you replace him with Rory Segrist. Well, you know, it's nice of you to give him that opportunity, but, you know, looking at the quality of the two coaches, the special teams went from being the best to being the worst, not a coincidence. So um, we'll see. I mean, I, uh, I mean, everything that we have heard and everything that we've been told suggests that these guys are really good coaches, but, with that transition there, there is a transition. And for both of these guys are taking on a big responsibility that's going to be under a great big microscope. And we'll just have to see how they handle it. But I, I, I will say this. Um, I think Sirianni is a very good coach. Uh, I mean, I didn't know very much about him when he came here, uh, but I've been very impressed with what he has done. Uh, and I, I have a feeling that he has, um, he has a good handle on things. So, I mean, there's going to be some rough patches this year. And I don't think this season is going to be the the easy, the smooth ride that everybody kind of thinks it's going to be. But he looks to me to be a guy that's really smart and I think has a pretty good handle on the situation. And whatever comes up, I think he'll be able to handle it. Ray, I'm going to borrow one of my partner's favorite sayings that I like to borrow from time to time because it's dead on point. Nobody worries about stopping the run until they have to stop the run. And then if you didn't do a good enough job, it jumps up and bites you in the butt. I'll suggest that it didn't bite the Eagles in the butt till the last game of the season when Isaiah Pacheco ran the ball as effectively as he did against the Eagles. And they only lost three games before that. And I would say none of those three losses were because the Eagles couldn't stop the run. But they were middle of the pack in stopping the run last year, even though they were the second-rated overall defense. That's one of my few concerns for this team coming into the season. Is this team going to be able to stop the run? Which means linebackers, edge guys, tackling runners, safeties, major changes in a couple of those positions. Are the Eagles going to be good enough stopping the run this year, Ray? We'll find out. We'll find out. And I I, uh, I agree with you. Um, I have um, – if, if, if you can't stop the run, you can't win. You know, I don't care. I don't care what era you're playing in. If it, if your defense isn't capable of stopping the other team from running the football, you can't win because they will run the ball. They will control the clock. They will control field position. Um, it's yeah. The idea that ah, that's yeah. You don't have to worry about that anymore. That's nonsense. That's never been true, and it never will be true. Uh, so yeah, they have to do that. And I think one of the reasons why I think people were a little misled about the strength of this team's run defense. Now look at those numbers. I have middle of the pack. No big deal. No big deal. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're play, if you have an offense that's as dynamic as this team's offense was last year, and you're breaking out to big leads every game, yeah. I mean, you can live that way. But 
are you going to be able to do that two years in a row? I don't know. Um, I think it's, I, I think a lot of the expectation, look, I don't, I'm not at all concerned about the Eagles offense. I think the Eagles offense is going to be fine. Um, but if you look at the makeup of this team right now, to me, you do have issues on the defense. You do have to replace some key players. Uh, and we're going to be asking a lot out of, uh, you know, the, the Georgia Bulldogs here, you know, they're, oh yeah, they're yeah. going to be, they're going to, they're going to in many ways tell the tale of this season. I mean, you, if they come in and if Jordan Davis can develop into the player that they drafted him to be, uh, and the Kobe Dean can become anything close to the player he was at Georgia at linebacker, uh, you know, I, I think that they, I think that they will be, um, you know, Sidney Brown is a, is a, I, I really like him. I, I like him a lot. He was one of my favorite players in this draft. I mean, I saw him play and I thought he was really good. And when the Eagles drafted him, I was elated because I thought he was going to be one of those late, later in the draft kinds of guys that gets sort of overlooked because he's not, oh, he's not the perfect size and he's not the perfect combine guy. But damn, he's a football player. And, and you, when you watched him play in college, you <laughs> And I, I have a feeling he's going to come in. I think he's going to play right away. And I think he's going to play really well. Uh, and I have the same kind of feeling for Nicobe Dean. I mean, I, I saw him play a lot of football at Georgia uh, on part of a defense where, it, I mean, it was a blue chip defense head to, head to tail. I mean, everybody on that field seems like he was a first round draft pick, except for Nicobe Dean. <laughs> but, in, but, but in the big games and in the big moments, the one thing you saw on that team was everybody on that field looked to him. I mean, all of these other guys that were drafted in the first round, um, all these guys that had better pedigrees, when when the rubber met the road and a play had to be made, you saw every guy on that team looked at him. That told me a lot about what kind of player he is. So I, I know there's a lot of questions, and he, he, does he have things to prove? Yeah, he does, to prove it, play, play at the NFL level. But I think he will, uh, and I think he's going to come in, and I think he's going to play well right away. I mean, they need him to, frankly. I yeah. mean, he's get, it's not just, oh, we're going to give him a chance to, to win the job. No, the fact of the matter is they need him to step in and be that kind of player. But based on what I saw him do in college, I think he will be. You know, to kind of further that, Ray, uh, I've talked about Jordan Davis with Jody a lot, um, sort of an esoteric role in the fact that if you look at those Georgia highlights of N'Kobe Dean and – You've seen plenty of them, a lot of them. The big guy up front is taking up blockers. And, you know, the Eagles will tell you as we get to that run support conversation, um, you know, the whole goal of the Big Banjo defense is to have the extra guy. Everything's a math equation in modern professional sports, which is not fun, to be honest. But they want one less guy in the box. So they have one more guy in coverage to limit explosive plays. That's the whole theory behind the defense. Now, to make that work, Jordan Davis has got to eat up blockers and let N'Kobe Dean run to the football. Let the Eagles play one less player in the box so they can stop the run. A, can he do it? And B, and this is the more important question, Ray, Will he ever be regarded as worthy of being the 13th overall pick if he just does his job and he's Vita Bea or Haloti Nada and he's not getting sacks? He's just making things easier 
for others. Oh yeah. Oh sure. I, I yeah. I don't think that's an issue, John. In terms in terms of justifying where he was picked in the draft, if he comes in and does everything that you just said, which is really what you drafted him to be, um, then yeah, then exactly right. Then he is one very big piece of a puzzle that is complete and ultimately will win you a championship. Then. Everybody justifies everything at that point. Every, everybody everybody has done their job well enough to get you where you want to go. Um, you know, I I never, you know, when, when people said that they were disappointed in Davis last year, um, I, I think they kind of just misunderstood the kind of player that he is. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's, he's, I mean, he's not Alan Page, and he, he's, he's never going to be. He's not John Randall. I mean, that's not what he is. I mean, he is just a big, powerful guy who can control the line of scrimmage and, and, and shut the valve on the running game. That's really what he is. And you put him next to a, a defensive tackle who is more of a guy that's explosive in the gap and can get up the field, that's exactly what you're looking for. And that's what they're going to hope that they get with he and Carter playing side by side. And, you know, Carter is that up the field kind of behind the line of scrimmage guy. Um, but I think Davis can certainly do his job. And I, I actually thought – you know, I've had people say, oh, he was a disappointment last year. I don't really, I don't really feel that. I mean, I thought, yeah, he got off to a little bit of a slow start, but he was a rookie. He's kind of figuring it out. And then I thought he started to play well, and then he got hurt. Yeah. And he, was he was playing out. really well before yeah, he got I thought, hurt. Yeah, I thought he was playing really good. And then he got yeah. the injury, he got the ankle injury, and he was out for a while. And then when he came back, he never quite got back to where he had been. But I thought once he kind of got a sense of the difference of, even SEC football to NFL football, and he began to understand the spacing and the angles and the speed of the game, you saw his natural ability come and he gained his confidence. And I thought for a stretch there before the ankle injury, I thought he was playing really good football. I was on his way, got hurt, had to come back. But I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be really good. I think Dean's going to be really good. You know, Carter has a chance to be very good. I mean, there are a lot of people that will tell you that he may have been the best player in this entire draft. Uh, that's so, me. <laughs> yeah, I, he was. Uh, he's he was really good, really really good. And you you know there are questions about him in in other areas, which I kind of understand. But you just put on the tape and you just watch, and there's no question this guy's got outstanding ability. I mean, outstanding ability. I mean, it's, it's rare to see a guy uh, his size that's that explosive out of the stance. Uh, and that's strong with his hands and uh, and smart. I mean, he's already he's already got some. He's already knows how to use his hands, and he already understands principles of leverage. I mean, he was he was. I mean, to me, when I watched him play last year, he looked like an NFL player playing in college. I mean, he looked like an NFL player last year. So there's no reason to think he's going to be anything less than that in Philadelphia. Ray Diddy, there aren't that many questions coming into the season for the Philadelphia Eagles. They're in a very good spot off the season that they had last year. And there was roster turnover, certainly on the defense, uh, but the offense stayed pretty much intact. They did lose, for me, one key piece, though. So that's a question coming into the season. Will the person who starts game one at right guard for the Philadelphia Eagles, assuming health, be the starter all 17 regular season games? Good question. And I, and I don't think it's been asked often enough. I mean, I, um, yeah, the right guard position, I mean, Sam Malo was a pretty good player. Yeah, he was, I mean, he didn't get, yeah. you know, he, I mean, he was, he's, I mean, he's in, very overshadowed 
because he's playing next to an all-time great player in Kelsey. He's playing between two great players in Kelsey yeah. and Johnson. You know, and then you got Mylotta, who's this great story at left tackle. Uh, and so everybody just kind of took Sam Allo for granted, which they shouldn't have done. I mean, he was – I mean, he wasn't at that level, but he was, he was a good, consistent player who didn't make mistakes. Uh, and it was, he was a really good fit in that spot. Uh, losing him is not a small loss, in my view. So he has to be replaced. I have, I, I haven't talked to you guys about this. I, I have never, you know, the, the convent you call conventional wisdom was, oh, we'll just move Jurgens over there. You know, Jer- well, Jer- Jurgens will just play there. My reaction was, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, it's that easy, huh? You yeah. know, oh, yeah, we're just going to take this uh, this center and we're just going to put him at right guard, and that's that. You know, it'll be fine. Come on, uh, Ray. All, all all I have to do is have Stoutland wave his magic wand, and it's done. Yeah. Yeah. Did you miss that memo? Whatever Stoutland touches turns to gold. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't see it that way. Um, <laughs> I don't, frankly, I don't think I don't think he's big enough. I don't. Yeah. Think well, that's you know that if you think about it, Ray, you know for many years it was Brandon Brooks next to Jason Kelsey, and Isaac's a, a, a pretty big player. It's not Brandon's size, but pretty big player himself, and the kind of thought process behind that was, well, you got to protect as good as Kelsey is. There are some weaknesses. And one of the weaknesses is he's very undersized. Yep. And now you have undersized, undersized instead of the big, powerful Brandon Brooks or Isaac Sayamalo. I'm with you. John, totally different players, totally different players. And that's why, you know, I kept reading these stories and people say, oh, well, Cam Jurgens, I'm just going to put him over there. I'm saying, oh yeah, (laughs) it's that simple. Huh? Uh, I it, it, listen if they're and I, I have all the respect in the world for Jeff Stoutland. He's as good an offensive line coach as I've ever seen, um, and so I've seen him make ordinary players into better players. But um, you got to have you got to have the frame to start with. And to me, if you put if that's your idea, you're going to put Jurgens in there. You're going to be playing with two centers in the middle of your offensive line. I don't think you can do that. Um, yeah. I think that's why they drafted Tyler Steen. Now everybody talks about you know he's you know he's a third day pick. Not a whole lot of expectation. Um, I think internally they're they're looking at him with the idea that he's going to get a real shot to win that job because he does have the frame to protect yeah. Kelsey on that side, and you need that. You need you need that other guy because you're right. I mean, Kelsey is is a great player, absolutely a great player, uh, but he has certain limitations, and he needs protection on either side of him to do the things that he does so well. Uh, I don't think Jurgens. I don't think Jurgens offers that. Uh, yeah. Steen, Steen maybe. Steen maybe. I mean, he's he's big enough and he's strong enough uh, and he's got the power. He's not going to be Brooks. I mean, Brooks to me was no. really really good player. I mean, yeah, even Sam Allo wasn't as good as Brooks, but he was. No. But he was big enough and he was smart enough and physical enough that he could do the things that you needed your right guard to do. I don't think. I think Jurgens will be a fine center at some point. But just saying, ah, he's going to play right guard. I don't see it. I I'd be willing to bet you guys right now that when they start the season, Steen's going to be your right guard. Yeah. Well, and you know, to your point, Ray, that's the plan. That's the long term plan is for Cam Jurgens to be the center when Jason finally decides to retire, and Tyler Steen to be the right guard. That's the long term plan. So if you can get. Uh, you can get to Tyler Steen as quickly as possible at right guard. Why won't you do that? But to your point about Stout, look, he's great. He's the best offensive line coach in the NFL. 
let's use Isaac as an example. Very good player. It took a while. You, you, you got to develop. And Isaac was a third-round pick, just like Tyler Steen. It took him a while to develop into the player he was. And I think that's going to be the case with Tyler Steen. So I'm with you there. I, I One last one for me. By the way, about, by, yeah, by the way just, just as, as an aside here, while we're talking about the right guard position, I, I would not be so quick to dismiss Jack Driscoll either. Um, yeah. You know, I think that I've seen Driscoll play well enough now that um, I think if he's given a fair opportunity to win that job, he could be competitive there too. I would sooner have him play in right guard than I would Jurgens because I've seen um, yeah. the one problem that Driscoll had when he came up was I thought he just needed to get bigger and stronger, which he has done. I mean, if you saw him last year, I mean, he's significantly bigger than he was before. So, you know, I think he could be more of a physical match for the right guard position than Jurgens. Uh, so, I mean, we're having even, most people aren't even talking about Driscoll. No. Just well, see, you know why I brought up Driscoll? He's kind of your utility yeah. backup guy. But, you know, I think given the opportunity, wouldn't shock me if he could win that job. I agree with you. I, You know, week one, if you ask me who's likely to be the best player, just the best player of those three, it's probably going to be Jack Driscoll because he's mm -hmm. the most ready. But then you impact, as you mentioned, Ray, the utility guy. He's the sixth man. He's got to be the swing tackle. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have Andre Dillard, so he's got to – He's got a backup right tackle and left tackle. And, you know, who knows? He might be the backup, the top backup at every position but center. Um, if you put him in the starting lineup, then you start talking about moving parts. Stoutland hates that. You know, no. you got to move guys in game, uh, move them more than one position. So that's my concern with Jack Driscoll. But I agree with you. I, you know, he's probably the most ready to play right guard and he did it and he did it pretty successfully yeah, yeah i think it's yeah i think he's pretty good i I, yeah. I think he's pretty i think he's pretty good and you know nobody's even mentioning him they just kind of in their mind he's just kind of he's kind of the swing guy he's the backup guy i think he i think he's better than that and if need be i think he's a guy that could step in there and play that position and uh, and play it pretty good yeah yeah his flexibility is his own worst enemy. I think that's going to end up costing him the fact that yeah. he is uh, the backup, the number one backup at several different offensive line positions. All right, Ray, last one for me. We're projecting, we're predicting. That's what you do here in the mem as members of the media. When we get to, let's say, late January, uh, as an NFC championship game, if the Eagles are in it, hopefully hosting it, who's going to be the opponent? Who's the number one challenger to the Eagles if they're the favorite? And they are, at least in the wagering markets and in a lot of people's minds, the favorite to go back to the Super Bowl again. Who's their biggest competition in the NFC? I would probably say um, the best, the, the next best team is, is still San Francisco. But, I mean, who's their quarterback? You know, I, that I don't know. But they're they're very good. They're very good across both lines. Uh, their defense, they're good. They're really good. Uh, if you were to ask me right now, I would I would probably say San Francisco. Um, I don't know who they're. I couldn't tell you who their quarterback is going to be. But the rest of that team is is really good. All right. So let, let let me push on this one. Assuming health, which is a big assumption at this point, how good is Brock Purdy going to be this year? 
is something we talk about a lot on this particular show because I happen to be a very big fan and thought he wasn't given enough credit for what he did last year. And then San Francisco throws fuel on the fire and says, oh, if Purdy were here, we would have won the game. No, you could have won the game. Don't give me, we would have won the game. I'm a Purdy guy. Do you think he's got a chance to be a top flight NFL quarterback? Um, Top flight, meaning how do you define that? Top five, NFC. Top 10, well, not because the AFC is so stockpiled. Top yeah. five in the NFC isn't yeah. that big a deal. Uh, top 10 quarterback in the NFL overall. I don't think it's – I don't think it's – top 10 is probably stretching it, but I'll say, but I'll say this. Um, I liked him too coming out of college. Uh, the, only, the only thing – the only knock on him really was his arm strength. Uh, but he's, uh, but he's very, very smart guy, and he's extremely accurate. And that was one of the reasons why I thought he got way underdrafted. Uh, I mean, everybody makes a big deal out of you know the, being the last pick in the draft, which he was. Right. Uh, but uh-huh. I mean, I, I, I really, I really do feel that. You know, sometimes the, the talent evaluators and the scouts in the NFL just, just they still, as much as they say they don't overrate things, they do overrate things, and. To me, arm strength in the NFL, it's nice to have. It's great to have. You know, I'll, I'll take a strong arm quarterback for sure. But, yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, you don't, you know, have, you don't win games in the NFL week in and week out by throwing 70 yard passes. No, you, know, you, you, you yeah. might throw two a year. Aaron Rodgers might throw two a year. Who, yeah. who cares? Can he make yeah. NFL throws? You That's, win, you, yeah. you win, you win with accuracy. And, and yeah. you, you win, you win with accuracy, you win with timing, you win with judgment. Uh, and guys that have that, they can win if you put the right people around them. And and Purdy is is that kind of guy. I think he's look. I think he's in the perfect situation. You know, you put him on a bad team, then it's just going to expose the things he can't do. Right. But you put him, you put him on a really good team where he is, uh, and and just let him play his game, and he can win for you, which he demonstrated last year. Yeah, I mean, I I. I, I think that he can be the guy for that team. And that's why I said right now, if you were to ask me who's going to be their opponent in the championship game, I think it's very likely to be a rematch. I think it's yeah. likely to be the Niners. Yeah. So, as, as do I. Ray Diddy, it is a pleasure to have you on. Now that we know that you're good to get set up and put the Emmys behind you and be able to hop in with us. Yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll, since you're yeah. so retired, wrong. Uh, from both radio and television and writing. You got downtime. You can hop on with Mac and Mac here on Birds 360. And it's beach season. One more time. One last read out in paper, paperback, new new afterward by Ray Diddinger. Yeah, they, they asked me to write uh, like a final chapter add to the yeah. book about last year, about my decision to, as Jody laughingly refers to it. <laughs> Uh, and then all, all the things that happened in Philadelphia last year with the World Series and the Super Bowl, it felt like, you know, we really kind of have to address that, don't we? So I wrote a final chapter that kind of covers that ground. Nice. Well, hopefully, hopefully they ask you to do another final chapter again next year after the Phillies and the Eagles have another successful postseason run in both of them. Ray Diddy, so. always a pleasure, brother. Thank you very much for doing this. We will be in touch. All right. You know where to find me. That is Have a great, great day, guys. Bye-bye. All-time great Ray Dinger here with us on uh, Birds 365. And I love what he said about Purdy. The- 
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. question was his arm strength. Johnny Mac, you know this, I know this. I get more of a hands-on Eagles feel, and we're just talking about fans, not scouts and other teams. You know whose arm strength was questioned? After he replaced Carson Wentz as the starting quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles? That would be Jalen Hurts. Oh, he doesn't have a strong enough arm. Carson Wentz has a stronger arm than Jalen Hurts. We're going to go backwards with Carson. Oh, yeah. You know how many of those calls I feel to Johnny Mac? That uh, why we wasted a second round pick. He doesn't have the arm strength to play in the NFL. You can improve your arm strength. You can put effort in. You can get better at it. Jalen Hurts did it. Would not be surprised if Brock Purdy did it as well. Yeah, I mean, I I talked to Nick Sirianni a lot about arm strength, and you know, it's similar to what I said. I was talking about receivers. You have to have a certain baseline. Once you hit that baseline, you're good to go. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like Ray said, look, it's nice when you have to throw a Hail Mary and you have Aaron Rodgers and you can get it there from 70 yards away in his prime. It's nice. But remember, you don't want to be in that position. So you never want to be in that position. It, It doesn't come up enough to worry about the key two aspects are decision making and accuracy. Yep. And and those are the two, and and Nick judges for the the third one would be you know movement skills to be able to do stuff off schedule. Obviously, Jalen's tremendous at that. And then the fourth is arm strength. And all you got to hit is the baseline. He hits the baseline. He can make every NFL throw. Um, yeah, it's so overrated. One once you hit it, it's like when we're talking about receivers. It, do you have to run a four-two-nine to be a receiver in this league? I got to cover Chris Carter for years. He's in the Hall of Fame. Um, he hit the baseline, and he did everything else spectacularly. Um, yeah, people don't get it. No, they they put too much of an emphasis on. And the thing that annoyed me about Jalen Hurts was 
people said he didn't have the arm strength and he wasn't accuracy accurate enough. Because you go back and you check the numbers, his percentage completion the year he filled in with Carson Wentz wasn't good. Oh, then he's going to be that type of quarterback for the rest of his life. Because in four games replacing Carson Wentz, that was his uh, – forget the fact that Deagle's offensive line was injured. Forget the fact that their wide receiver core was uh, certainly uh, able to be upgraded. Oh, no, that's going to be his completion percentage for the rest of his career. Of course there's chance for improvement. And we saw it with Jalen Hurts to his almost MVP season this past year. All right, McMullen and McDonald, we are Mac and Mac here on Bird Street 65. Quickie timeout. We got another good guest coming up in hour number two. Stay right there. Imaginations run wild and time stands still because here you can find the best of the Jersey Shore all on one five mile island. So leave the old you behind and get lost in the woods. at Southeastern PA in Delaware with Colony Pools this football season. And let the experts close your pool with a custom Merlin safety cover in green for the birds. And if you join our winter watch team, we'll give you another 20% off and Colony Pools will handle it all. Keep your tiles on your pool, not in your pool. Fly with Colony right now, birds fans. Visit flywithcolony.com. Hi everybody, my name is Jason Lombardi. I'm an inspector at DryTech. At DryTech we offer three major services. The first one being basement waterproofing. The second service we offer is foundation and structural repairs. And then the third service that we offer is mold remediation. If you feel you are having a waterproofing issue, give DryTech a call or check us out online. E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles Yeah, John McMullen and Jody McDonald here with you, Mac and Mac on Birds 365. We appreciate Ray Dinger jumping in. Certainly someone who knows and has chronicled the 
longtime National Football League. Oh, we got another one joining us in just a couple of minutes. Bob Angelo, cinematographer for NFL Films. He only did it for 43 years, didn't he? He's like a spring chicken, Dinger 53. Bob Angelo, only yeah, 43. Man. A lot of experience. We have a lot of experience, and we're we're paling in comparison today. We're wet behind the ears kids compared yeah. to the couple of guests we're punching up. So Bob Angelo is going to join us coming up in less than 15 minutes now. Uh, before we get to Bob. Bob's uh, already here in the green room. Should we go to Bob? What should we do, Sander? He's already here. He's here early. Yeah, he's ready to go. Let's right, go. You want to do Bob right away? Right, we yeah, go. why not? We can punch up Bob. I don't want to uh, make him wait. Then, then there, there you he go. is. Hello. Bob, Bob Angelo, uh, cinematographer, NFL Films, uh, who's got a new book out uh, that uh, everyone should be looking into if you're any kind of an NFL fan. Bob, thank you much for jumping in with us here today. I just gave Dinger a hard time because he says he's retired, but all he continues to do is hop on TV, hop on radio, write forwards to books and the like. How are you handling retirement? Retirement is wonderful. The uh, day that they forced a lot of us out of NFL films, um, the CEO said, would you like to come back and work as a network cinematographer on weekends? And I said, no, I'm done. I've shot my last game. The Eagles Super Bowl was the victory over the Patriots was the last football game I shot. Why not go out on a high note? Yeah. And you know, out on top, Billy Special, yeah, the whole nine yards, yeah. It, it hurts to shoot a camera on Sundays. Now, you know, Ray was showing off. I think he had five Emmys in his background. You only got one uh, in your background there, Bob. And by the way, the book, The NFL Off-Camera, an A to Z guide to the league's most memorable players and personalities. You got it in back of you there as well. Um, how many Emmys do you have total? 21. 21. Only 21, Jody You slacker, Bob Angelo. How (laughs) dare you not get that 22nd? Shame on you. 21. That's unbelievable. I I really hoped to get more than that, but uh, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm probably. How many do you have room for, Bob? I mean, you (laughs) got to get a new wing to the house to house all those Emmys. I've only got three here. Uh, I've given three to my neighbor, actually, four to my neighbors and friends. I gave one to my parents, and I never got that one back. Uh, <laughs> one got broken, and then the rest are on the walls at, in, on the shelves at NFL Films. Nice, That's very nice. Um, yeah, tw- twenty-one is pretty impressive. But I always joke, you know, as a reporter, uh, you know, I get access to the locker room and the coach, and even off the record sessions. But everything, even for people like me, everything has a little bit of a filter because guys knows guys know why we're there. You NFL films guys, you're on the field. You're getting that raw sort of emotion in the moments, uh, seeing at the most could be the most exhilarating time for a player, could be a terrible time for a player. Just kind of take us into that sort of uh, uh you know, mentality and the fact that you're so close to that particular action, whether it's winning, losing, and everything in between. And in proximity, I was even closer because I was shooting sound. And in shooting sound, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not just observing action. I'm not just getting close-ups. I'm hearing what they're saying to one another, to their position coaches, to their head coaches. 
pregame. Lots of times these guys have been sitting on it all week. I walk into their presence with a wide angle lens on my camera, literally put it within a foot of their faces and say, what's up or what's new today or, you know, anything to get them speaking. It's bottled up. They want to say it. They want to get it out. They're done practicing. They're getting ready. They're warming up. And you'd be surprised some of the things that have come out of players. <laughs> yeah. In those, but uh, by the way, if you're comfortable with it, only if you're comfortable with it, <clears throat> I, I, I want you to give the Connor Barwin story because I saw the kind, because we're allowed to do that on, on this, uh, on this, outlet you know the radio you probably couldn't say that but <laughs> the connor barwin story um i'd rather not get to the point <laughs> but, um, because i really respect connor but boy yeah. did he pull a prank i mean an incredible prank yeah. on me that day and when i learned about you know his his precondition the fact that he was semi-deaf in in one ear i understood his awareness of cameras and microphones. And when he saw the boom microphone, he just played me like a yo-yo. I mean, he <laughs> way with me. And it was one of the best sound bites I've ever gotten that will never see the light of day. Yeah. Connor but, is a great guy. He would not care, by the way. He would not care. <laughs> well, I hope not, because I, I didn't run it by him first before I put it in the book. But it just got me. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and that, that smile said it all. Like, oh, man, did I punk you. And then later on, he did it again with another defensive lineman who saw the microphone and was, you know, and Connor just went right into it again. And I thought, wow, that's stage <laughs> presence. Stage presence. Now, Bob, you started at NFL Films many years ago. And at the time, Leather Helmets, you, you were it. That was it. That was the only access that NFL fans had to NFL players there wasn't today's modern technology where let's be honest, you go into a football stadium, there's 60,000 video recorders there. Everybody's got one on their phone. Everyone has a camera and a video recorder with them in their back pocket. So you're kind of sharing it with everybody now. Now you've got the best technology and you're the closest and you're right on top of those guys. So you don't fall, uh, fall out of the picture, but how did you adapt? Knowing that others were doing you when you started it, you were it. You were the only one, and now you're the top one, but one of sixty thousand. Did it change your job at all? Well, it did in a way, but all most of those people were not allowed behind the bench area for more than a few seconds. Network cameras and NFL films cameras were the only two cameras allowed behind bench areas. Now, local television guys with connections with teams who had been around for many years, many NFL teams would just ignore them because they would see these people every day. Yeah. And they would have access. But generally, I would just walk in and if I needed to, I would strong arm my way into the position that I needed. And I would just point at my credential and say, I'm good back here. And uh, players over the years uh, became more sophisticated when it came to, Oh, that's NFL films. They're cool. We can be ourselves around them. Some teams never get it because the head coach sets the tone and players look at us as you're the enemy. You're trying to steal our hearts, our souls. You're trying to take away our winning edge. Well, you know, that's a pile of crap. However, yeah. 
it it it, it you know it, it pervades the NFL and it it uh, it just it, it lasts to this day. There are still teams that don't want us around. I get it, but I don't. Come on, we're all yeah. on the same team here. I you know the commissioner is my boss too, so allow us here. We're not going to put things on the air that are going to give away strategic secrets. Everybody runs the same plays. Everybody runs the same pass protections, the same coverages, the same defenses, the same blitz schemes. Everybody does the same stuff. Other teams, some teams do it better on a consistent basis. They go to playoff games and Super Bowls. You know, you guys who are bitching about me being back here with a camera overhearing what the quarterback is saying to you because you blew a protection and he just wound up on his ass. Am I allowed to say this? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You can say. You, um, can you know, say. I want to hear that. I yeah. want to hear Ben tearing you a new one. And, you know, and yeah. Ben get to a point, Roethlisberger, where he would just say, all right, I can outweigh you guys. Okay. You know, I, I would step off to the side, swing around, try to hang the boom in where Ben couldn't see it. Ben could see it. I mean, they're not dumb. So if they don't want you around, there's not a lot we can do about it if they're going to clam up. And uh, But being there, hearing what's going on, hearing the adjustments, I mean, I didn't get this particular soundbite I'm about to describe, but a poor defensive back was sitting there after he got toasted on a double move, touchdown, and he's sitting there and his coach is tearing him a new one. And when he walked away, his observation was, hey, they get paid too. That pretty much sums it up. We're all professionals here like talking that. about yeah. you know the guy who beat him. Now he might go out, shut him down the next nine times. But the, the point of the drill is they're professionals too. They're professional football players. <clears throat> Excuse me. They came from the same colleges that we did. They came up the same way with the same aspirations. And yeah. Now, uh, yeah. When you're telling that story, Bob, I, it, you would think, over the years that NFL films has developed into what it has developed into, it would have eased. I think today it's worse than ever when you're talking about that sentiment of teams, hard knocks. You were on the ground floor of hard knocks. I nobody I wants, it, but I, I no, but you were, yeah, I developed. Um, it, nobody wants to be on the show because these guys are so secretive and so. And you're right. They all run the same stuff. It's you're not you're not protecting state secrets. I, why do you think that is that they haven't developed some kind of trust for what you guys have done over the years? Again, it comes down. <clears throat> excuse me. It comes down to the head coach. If the head coach identifies crews, television crews as distractions, then they're distractions. And it's hard even for veteran players to dismiss that. And a lot of veteran play players will say, well, that's the excuse I needed not to talk to you folks or be myself around you. Hard knocks is a different animal. It's very invasive. The very first hard knocks back in 2001, when Steve Sable called me into his office and said, Ange, I've got a show for you. You're going to be gone all summer. You're going to be with the Baltimore Ravens. I said, okay, this is going to be good. He said, do you know Brian Bill? Like I said, very well. I mean, Brian, but... Brian embraced it because Brian had his team, his Super Bowl championship team in Baltimore. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted the attention. He wanted the publicity. The Ravens were craving, you know, a national sort of recognition that they didn't get even when they won the Super Bowl because of, you know, some off-field things that were going on with some of their players. Bottom line, Brian embraced it. 
day one, we had remote or robotic cameras in his office. And he said, look at this. He stood up and he, he, and he moved around the room and he said, look at these cameras. They're following me. This is how our camp is going to be this year, just like this. And our players are going to be ready to defend their Super Bowl title because if they can put up with all this, then, you know, on Sunday when they line up opposite an opponent and you know what he wants to do to you and, you know, and vice versa, it's going to be a lot easier to focus because this is what they're going to go through all summer. Cameras everywhere in meetings, meeting rooms, uh, every place but the medical room. That was the only room that my crews were not allowed to go to. And I understood that. And uh, it never came up. And I remember um, Steve Sable was very concerned about profanity in the show. The, he was concerned and because he, he felt the NFL office would be concerned. Well, I said, Steve, this is a training camp. You're going to have profanity almost every other word. Every seventh word is going to begin with F. Yes, um, I and, can confirm that. And uh, so there we were shooting. And every Wednesday morning, we would screen the rough cut prior to the Wednesday night screening of Hard Knocks. And the entire brain trust, everybody of importance with the Ravens was there. Both Models, Brian Billick, PR executives, et cetera, right on down the line. And after the first show, they said nothing. After the second show, now this, after, before the second show, Steve Sable made a deliberate effort with his producing staff, make sure you limit the profanity. Let's take the profanity out of the show. Let's try to avoid it. The league office hadn't said anything about it, but Steve was concerned about it. After screening the second show, Brian got up and said, great show, Bob, but we need a few more gratuitous F-words in there. <laughs> well, from that moment on, NFL Films and Steve Sable had no concerns about the profanity. Very, very nice. Um, if he got it, if Billick got it, that there was an upside to this, that you're on a national platform, and when hard knock started i don't know if we're using the word platform yet but it has become such a buzzword we have to use it now if he understood that why don't they have a hard knocks team named get this year john pointed out he's right it seems like none of the 32 teams want to do it the nfl put rules in place that you could be eliminated from consideration if you did this that and the other thing well the only teams that are like in the we can force you to do this thing is four out of the 32 and the four don't want any part of it why why didn't anybody get it that this can be a good thing for your organization if you're branding another 2023 word if you're branding your organization why wouldn't they want to be on hard knocks i think it's because it's not new anymore and robert sala with the jets knows what's going to happen you know, if and when the Jets are picked above objection to be the participant this year. And Robert Sala is looking at his team thinking, I've got this quarterback who has a history of, you know, not necessarily being nice around cameras that are trying to get sound bites. And I've had experiences with Aaron where, you know, he would just push the camera out of the way once. And Mike McCarthy said, what are you doing? And he, I don't want that here. And okay. Uh, you know, and okay. We, at that point, see who who's running that situation. Um, <laughs> and I like Mike, I like Mike, but you know, his quarterback yeah. doesn't want the camera around. Yeah. Well, now Aaron's in New York and Robert Sala has got a pretty damn good defensive team. I think, um, I don't know that they, they are as close to a championship as 
New York Jets fans want to believe, but they, they look pretty darn balanced. And you plug in this quarterback, if he's got anything left, and chances are he does, because he's the most accurate passer I think I've ever seen. Yep. If he wants to play, and, you know, if the, the uh, hallucinogenic drugs he's using are giving him insights into how to find, you know, secondary and tertiary receivers, then the Jets are going to have a shot. Right. Yeah. I think, I... again, distractions. Robert has never been around anything of this. Is that his name? Robert Sala, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, his, his, he's never been around anything this invasive. And it is invasive because the cameras are there. They don't go home at night. The cameras live in the facility. And, you know, when they transition from camp to their, uh, you know, their, their, their stadium uh, set up or their, their facility set up, I don't, I don't even know if the Jets do that. Uh, but the cameras remain there. The people remain there every day. And it's, I don't know. I don't understand. I, I think it's just inexperience. I think some people who've been through it know that, hey, we, I can survive this. I, I, we can live through this. We can actually use it to our betterment. But the ones who've never experienced it and have watched others, you know, I've heard coaches say, I can't imagine why anybody would let this happen. Yeah. It I, seems like the younger ones, Bob, uh, don't want any part of it, whether they don't have confidence in themselves or they don't have full confidence in their hold over the organization. I, I specifically see it with younger coaches. Now, one guy is always who I love um, as a coach. And, um, you know, he kind of um, <laughs> doubled down on what I think of Bill Parcells. Um, he didn't want the cameras around either. And he's as entrenched as it could be. Um, your interactions with Bill Parcells and the fact that, you know, He's going to take advantage if he can take advantage. Bill was difficult. Uh, one of our cameramen had a famous run-in with him. And Bill could be very intimidating. There, there was nothing subtle about his approach. You know, get that camera out of here. And he would say it with conviction and flames <laughs> in his eyes. And Bill looked like the kind of guy who would step off the sideline and come over and punch out a cameraman who was violating his space. I'm not sure where Bill learned that. Maybe Howard Schnellenberger, maybe one of those people in his past where this is your, this is your sacred space and don't allow anybody in it. I did come to understand Bill a little bit later when he explained about the, the sanctity of the locker room and how he didn't want Communists said he, as he called them. Oh, he didn't want. Oh, he English. called you a commie. Well, no, he called he called uh, somebody who asked him a question after he'd won a game. A, a reporter. He said, "There, there you have it, a communist. You know, right here. You know." And Damn. Bill always felt that okay, if you're in our locker room, if you're in our space, you should be part of our team. And that's not the job. No, of the no it's not the job. <clears throat> so, Bill never got that. But when Bill became a general manager. I got stuck one day going into the Dolphin locker room and I'm not sure how this played out, but I think Bill was a GM there for a while. Do I have this right? Yeah, he yeah, was. Uh, I don't know if that was his title, but he right. was president. He was president. in charge. He was in charge. So. And there I was in a post game locker room and he walked in 
And I, I'm just sitting there holding my camera thinking, all right, it, here it comes. You know, he's going to grab the back of my hair and, you know, throw me out of here. And we're going to have a physical confrontation. And none of it happened. He just looked at me, walked on. He finally accepted the fact that people are going to be in post-game locker rooms as, and, and by right now, because the broadcast committee of the National Football League years ago opened up the locker rooms to NFL films yeah. and now, we still in many cities have to check with the PR person. And lots of times the media relations executive would wait a while before letting us in. Didn't want us in there for the immediacy, which is that's what I was always there to get. That immediacy when the team has won the game, they've achieved their objective and everything is supposed to be good. And that is a jubilant moment in most locker rooms. Yeah. But yeah. lots of teams would still make us wait until that moment was over to come in. Bob, I executive want to vice president of football operations. That's okay. So he, for the Dolphins. Yeah. he was a honcho. He, he was a, yeah. uh, and he could have, you know, tapped me on the shoulder. Oh, yeah. And, you know, given oh, me yeah. the, and what am I going to say? I'm, I'm sitting here holding a camera, which kind of looks like a weapon. I don't want to run the, you know, ram the lens into his face. So I, uh, I, but it, 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 it goes on. It persists. It's not going to change anytime soon. I don't think. No. Until teams start getting fined for doing it. You know, you don't let our camera into the locker room in a timely fashion. You're going to pay a substantial fine every week. Will that ever happen? Probably not. We'll tell, we shall see. All right. I got a personal question for you. Sir. Because of something you said when we introduced you. You said, uh, walked away after the Eagles Super Bowl and ending on a high note. You're a Pittsburgh guy. You yeah. were born in Pittsburgh. You went to high school in Pittsburgh. There were some pretty good teams in Pittsburgh when you were a younger man, if well, I remember correctly. When I was yours, when I was growing up in the 1960s, the Steelers stunk. Okay. I graduated in 1970. Now, they had started drafting people. In 69, they brought in this big defensive lineman named Joe Green from North Texas State. <clears throat> and that went on for about six years in a row where every single season, the Steelers added future Hall of Famers to their roster. By the time I was a sophomore at Penn State, Penn State was, or uh, uh, Penn State, Pittsburgh, the Steelers were, were getting pretty good. Um, I actually had to drive up to my college apartment in State College to watch the Immaculate Reception because we couldn't get it because of the blackout in Pittsburgh. And I drove my neighbor up, who was a Penn Stater as well, and he jumped up and down on my roommate's bed and broke the frame. Oh. And Franco ran it in. True story. And uh, But the Steelers stunk. But then all of a sudden, you know, beginning in 72 until the end of the decade, you know, four Super Bowls in six seasons, I don't know that that will ever be duplicated. But during my professional life, I got very close to the Minnesota Vikings and was, a you know, I did the last 25 years of their highlight films and went to Japan with them, went to Mankato with them, uh, went to, to England with them. And, you know, and of course, now I lived in the Philadelphia area. So I got to know Andy Reed and I liked Andy. I liked Dick Vermeil a lot. These, these were good men, good people, and they ran great programs. So I, people would say, well, who are your favorite, what, what's your favorite team? Well, I have favorite teams. And in most cases, professionally, it's who would allow me the most access? Yeah. The teams, the coaches that's who would allow me the most access became my favorite teams. And that was Denny Green and, you know, future coaches in Minnesota. Denny and, was great. 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, just tr tremendous guy. Dick yeah. Vermeil and and then uh, uh, Andy Reid and, you know, uh, subsequent generations of Eagles coaches here. And then my Pittsburgh teams. I mean, I always got along fairly well with Mike Tomlin. He never really ran me out of there. I'd have issues with Ben Roethlisberger and some assistant coaches occasionally. But Mike and I, he would look at the camera and he, he Mike knew how to play that camera. Yeah. And uh, wow. he, he knew how to. So answer to the question. Yeah, I'm here in Philly now. And uh, I've, you know, I, I'm. I, Become I'm an Eagle fan. The reason I ask yeah. is because I went through it. I'm a former New Yorker, but I've been in Philadelphia 33 years now. But some people still hold it against me because I wasn't born here. I, it wasn't a hospital delivery of Jody McDonald. So you're not a true Philadelphian. You're not a true it Philadelphian. Sounded, sounded to me like you were a true Philadelphian. You go end on a high note with an Eagles Super Bowl win. Yeah. Uh, you, you got your colors as far as I'm concerned. Well, I got to know Doug Peterson because I uh, Doug was one of Andy's key assistants for many years. And when Doug came here, you know, I, I knew Doug when he was a backup quarterback to Brett Favre in Green Bay. So I, you know, I was in a meeting once with him and Holmgren and, 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 and Favre and they're, they're going over the first 20 play calls, which was, you know, a, a kind of a thing that West coast offenses do yeah. all the time. But um, I knew Doug, I actually was on my golf course one day and this great big tall lanky kid was on the range and I was going from nine to 10 and he was walking toward 10. So I sped up my golf cart because I really didn't want to play with anybody that day. And then I looked at him. I said, you want to throw your bag on? And sure. So he hits his drive after I hit mine. I said, did you get it all? He goes, yeah, yeah, I did. Um, we get down there. I hit mine about 220, 225. I was feeling pretty proud of that. This guy hit his drive about 290 yards. Turns out it was Josh Peterson. It was mm. Doug's son. Wow. So that became a talking point for me with Doug every time I would see him. I'd say, I played golf with your son. He's playing a different sport than I am. Yeah. I mean, he drove Josh me. just signed with the Jags, by he the way. Did. I saw just, that. I'm yeah. happy for him. I, yeah. I'm happy for him because he could have been a professional golfer. This yeah. was when he was a freshman. Yeah, 290. At I'm impressed. Oh, I, now, here's here's my question, Bob, because I used to cover the Vikings. You ever get a ticket going down 169? To get to uh, no. <laughs> no, I, I, I avoided um, the, the tight ends uh, uh, booze joint there because too many people. <laughs> Too many people got got arrested every there. year. Uh, yeah, some Viking yeah. player would get down, get a ticket racing down to Mankato because they yeah. would wait to the last minute for training camp <laughs> to, to check into Gage Hall. Nobody wanted to be there, and they would all race down 169 going 100 uh, every year. I yeah. hear you. I, I went there quite a few times, never had a problem there, but I was more concerned about the uh. The former tight ends place where they would all go on on you know Wednesday night after practice and get loaded and then you know invariably a Viking would Joe Sensor yeah yeah Joe Sensor I, I uh, actually convinced Westchester's King. own by the way locally I, uh, I Westchester University I convinced Peter King to do uh, stand ups once at uh, Joe Sensor's bar really yeah he was, and we of course I, had, I, had, I like Peter I respect Peter I'm a guy who reads his column first day soon as it's up boom up on Peter King funny? No, 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 no. I've, I've, I would never believe that. You tell me he killed it doing stand up. Um, I, I got to see the film. You had to record it, Mister Cinematographer. You got to produce that film for me. I refuse to believe Peter King funny. Well, I did it for another producer, and he wasn't that funny. He he did his stand ups very straight, but as it turns out, I forgot all about the 
alcohol in the shot concept. And uh, three of the six that we shot, we weren't allowed to use because we, we, we didn't want to put, you know, the, the, the kegs of beer in the, uh, okay. and the pitchers of beer. No, Peter did not. I don't think Peter indulged at all. I did while I was working, but. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, well, and Peter indulging that we know because every single week his column's got some kind of new beer, new IPA, <laughs> something he likes to drink. So we know he indulges. I just don't see him as a funny guy. Uh, no, well, he, his job was not to be funny. His job was to get through the copy and, uh, you know, set up the segment and then do a tag for the end. But, uh, All right. Very good. Um, yeah. The name of the book is NFL Off Camera with our friend Bob Angelo. Here's the question I want to wrap up on. All right. And I don't know if you've ever thought of this before. I'm sure if I give you a second, you'll think of it. It'll come to you like that. You've filmed thousands of hours of NFL action on the field, right there, right on top of it, getting the point of view from the players with your live mic as well. But what play did you film that you couldn't believe as you looked through the lens actually transpired? You go, whoa, 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 whoa. Rewind. I got to see this again. I don't believe what my eye just saw through the lens of my camera. That didn't actually happen in reality. And then you went back and looked, go, damn, well, did. I, yeah, I, I, I will give you a handful. Okay. The very first time I was in Tyreek Hill's presence when he was a rookie, he caught a bubble screen right in front of me and I was shooting action and he ran right out of my frame. And you couldn't keep up with him. And Joe Delaney once did that to me, but um, he was, and, but he was right in front of me and all of a sudden he was gone and I had to catch up with him. I immediately walked over to the bench and said, I need a flip card. And someone said, what happened? Why, why? I said, who was that guy who just caught that pass? It was, he's fast, isn't he? I said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's one. Um, I was shooting the playoff game between the Giants and the 49ers in San Francisco when Joe Montana was quarterbacking the 49ers against, uh, I want to say, not even Jim Kelly that year. I think Kelly got hurt and wasn't available, so he was against the backup. But it, I, I could be wrong about that, but I, I know it was the, um, I'm sorry, it was 49ers Giants. What am I thinking? Giants. 49ers Giants. It might have been the backup quarterback, not um, Sims. Sims, uh, but uh, Hostetler. West Virginia. Yeah, yeah Hostetler. Right. And it looked as if the uh, 49ers were going to walk away with a win. So Montana drops this throw in the fourth quarter, and I'm shooting him, and I see Bubba Paris blow his block on Leonard Marshall and Leonard Marshall arrived and hit Montana so hard that it almost took my breath away watching it. You could hear the air come out of the stadium. And I just stayed right there because I knew he's not moving. And he just sat there and sat there and sat there. And I think he missed 18 months of football after that. But I've never seen a hit like that in my life. It, it's the most violent collision I've ever, ever seen. Wow. And I've been around, you know, for a long time. Yeah. I, I saw Lambert and 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 uh, Jack Tatum and uh, Ray Lewis, and that was the most violent hit I've ever seen. And whew, and uh, that shot has, you know, has been used so many times. Um, as for a, a I, I shot one game-winning play. It, it didn't turn out to be as big as the immaculate reception, but the Colts had a bouncing ball touchdown in Indianapolis once. But the the, the plays I just mentioned are the two that would that really come to mind because 
People who are watching Tyreek Hill or people of that stature on television don't understand how fast these guys are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then people who, again, see the sanitized view from, you know, camera one, two or three up high don't understand what that hit felt like. I could hear that from where I was. And the crowd, oh, I mean, the air just got sucked out of Candlestick Park. And, you know, uh, but Joe came back and uh, played again for the 49ers and wound up playing in Kansas City and extended his Hall of Fame career. But uh, those shots come to mind immediately. Um, yeah. Sounds All right, let's great. end it on the Philly special, Bob. Uh, you know, I think we had Ray on. I should have asked Ray. I think Ray's son caught the 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 actual Nick Bowles uh Doug Peterson interaction with Philly Philly which is weird but well he was the he was probably the wire camp yeah the wire camp on the quarterback yeah. or on the head yeah. coach I was standing right behind them yeah I mean if you if you can find that image anywhere I was standing right behind them and I wasn't it wasn't my job to shoot him at the time so and I'm standing there with my sound man, and I I look I turned to him. I said, "What do you think this is going to be?" And I, you know, and of course, it got hailed as the most incredible play call in the history of pro football. Well, let me yeah. tell you this: that was the easiest play call in the history of pro football because you bet you can bet your life that Belichick looked through three years of Eagles red zone and knew every single play that the Eagles might run in that situation. They sure as hell didn't know that one. I've never yeah. seen that one on tape no. before exactly. And no. so, I mean, that was simple. And the fact that Doug called it, though, on fourth and one rather than taking the points told me we're here to win this game. We're not just here to put on a good show. We're not just here to, you know, advance our uh, our uh, our growth as a team. We're here to win this damn game. So let's win it. And I love that. Yeah. The name yeah. of his book is NFL Off-Camera Collection of Short Stories that Bob – gathered over low the decades that he was on NFL sidelines. I am sure that it is a phenomenal read. Bob, we want to appreciate you jumping on with us for a couple minutes here today. Since you retired, we may call on you from time to time. Go, hey, Bob, did you watch this? How would you have shot this game? We may hit you up during the season. Thank Feel you very free. much. Feel free. I mean, I, I watch Red Zone every week for seven and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, uh, here's one thing, and we're talking to three – uh, relatively older gentleman right here. I couldn't host Red Zone. It, what, what do you got to do? Wear Depends? Yeah. He's never off camera. <laughs> there are no commercial breaks on Red Zone, at least here on Birds 365. I got two and a half minutes to run upstairs if I got to go. That's one of the, the best things. Scott Hansen, baby. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm thinking they have him hooked up like an astronaut so he can go right into his. Uh, <laughs> could, could be. Uh, Bob, great stuff. Thank you very much for jumping on with us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Bob. Angelo, longtime cinematographer for NFL Films. His book is NFL Off Camera. Pretty good title, as a matter of fact, for uh, the collection of short stories that he tells about his low, those many years of experience at NFL Films. All right, McMullen McDonald coming back. We've still got a couple of segments. Keep it here on Bird Street 65. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. For the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. 
Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. The greatest fans on earth. It's a bold statement, but would you expect anything less from Philadelphia? 58 years of heartache creates a toughness, a grit, a resolve not found in most. Sure, our prayers were answered, but now that we've had a taste, we're looking for more. Pondley Hockey, official partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go <clears throat> Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years, and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. Go and go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. All right, did you know I was the Mommy Slam Dunk champion? Really? <laughs> yes, really, don't sound so surprised. Let's see it. Oh, you're ready. All right, here we go. Let's hear the crowd. So go to right, I go to left. Fake a mom. Mama, go. Oh, mama! She did it. Again? You can't avoid gravity, but United Healthcare can help you avoid financial surprises by helping you compare costs and doctor quality ratings. United Healthcare. Uh huh. Back here on Birds 365. I hope you enjoyed the show today. I did. Our two guests were both great, and they've been around the game forever, and uh, they shared some great stories with us. And not hard-hitting 2023 upcoming season news, but I thought they were both great, and I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did just hanging out here and being able to shoot the breeze with these guys. Uh, let me play off something that Bob Angelo talked about. John, you brought it up. The fact that he was the first cinematographer for Hard Knocks and that he worked with Brian Billick season one. I remember it like it was yesterday, even though it was more than 20 years ago when the Ravens first did it. Um, and he gave us a great feel of the way that Brian uh, Billick handled it and accepted it and wanted to do it and saw it as an opportunity to get coverage for his team and what they were building, what they were doing down there in Baltimore. It's like the plague. No one wants any part of it this year, John. They yeah. usually announce the Hard Knocks team shortly after the Super Bowl. Sometime mm -hmm. in March, they come out with long before the NFL draft, long before OTAs, and certainly before camps open up, 
which in some cities is a week from now. The Eagles are going to be a week after that, and they still haven't named the hard knock team. What the hell is wrong with the NFL? Why, why do they not see what Bob Angelo was talking about, what Brian Billick was talking about, and what Jody McDonald was talking about? It's an opportunity to and, Coaches, and taking man. it into 2023. Brand management. Get it out there on the biggest platform, HBO. You've got a chance to win people over. Why are the NFL teams so reticent this year? Um, coaches, like Bob said. Um, and it's their domain. Like if you ask Don Smolensky, who's the Eagles president and re- pretty much runs the business side of the organization, he'd probably agree with you. But the coach doesn't want it. And if the coach doesn't want it, um, you don't want to upset the coach. That's ultimately the the product on the field. And that's where everybody is. And, you know, Bob brought up Billick, as you mentioned. I mean, I know Brian pretty well. He was Danny Green's offensive coordinator before he became a head coach. Um, even, even going back to that era, 2000, 2001, whatever it was when Baltimore won. Um, it's changed, man. It has changed drastically and not in a good way when it comes to um, access and things like that. And this new generation of coaches, they don't want it. They don't want it. And, you know, it only takes one, but I think that's what the NFL is always hoping for is that, somebody steps up and says, yeah, we want to do it. And and Dan Campbell, to a certain degree, did it last year. Didn't want to do it again. Um, and they're hoping that somebody volunteers. And it's becoming abundantly clear. Nobody's volunteering. So they're right, going to have then, to make the Jets he, do it. And here's where I'm going with this. You went to Smolinski. I'll jump him. Jeff Lurie owner of the Philadelphia Eagles. And John's got a good comment about Jeff Laurie uh, on his uh, Sports Illustrated website if you want to check it out about Jeff Laurie is actually the new norm here in Philadelphia. But he's the boss. He is the top of the food chain. He is the one who should be able to dictate things for the Philadelphia Eagles. Jerry Jones just got, what, $25 million from Netflix? to do a documentary about the Dallas Cowboys. How many Super Bowls have the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, have the Dallas Cowboys won in the last one? zippity doo Zero. Yet who's getting a $25 million check from Netflix? Jerry Jones. Why? Because he gets it. Because he understands promoting his product. He understands being out there and part of it in the life. Why wouldn't Jeff Lurie say, this is good for the Philadelphia Eagles. Coach, we've got editorial control over it after the fact. After they shoot it, we can control it. What's the what's the downside here, Coach? If he calls Syriana into his office, why would... Well, he could certainly do it. He could certainly do it and put his foot down and said, Nick, this is good for the organization. We have to do it, you know, make do. Uh, but he doesn't want to. He's not that kind of guy. He's not... I mean, certainly if he woke up this morning and changed his mind. He can do whatever he wants, but he's not going to do it to his head coach and his head coach doesn't want to do it. Um, 
So, I mean, if you're looking for a villain here, it is Nick Sirianni. I mean, he's the one who is. I don't want to beat up on Sirianni by himself because nobody in the NFL wants to do it. So if it's coach directive, it's all 32 coaches in the NFL. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I think there's a bunch of business people around the NFL who would want to do it for their particular teams. Um, But most teams and Jerry's. A, a notable exception. Jerry's kind of a wild card, obviously. Um, you know, he will put his foot in everything. Um, and most owners aren't going to do that. And, you know, from a business standpoint, like people always say Jerry Jones shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, not, you know, some people. You don't understand why he's in the Hall of Fame. He's in the Hall of Fame because of what he's done for this industry uh, and how much, as Jody is pointing out, how much money he has made for the NFL. He's a Hall of Famer. Um, He's first ballot in Andrew Brandt's Business Hall of Fame. Um, He's a Hall of Famer from that perspective. From a football perspective, he's kind of a pain in the ass at times if you're a coach. Yeah. and, you, and know, you know what the funny thing is, John? I apologize for interrupting you. If you go back and check the history, he doesn't fire coaches when you think that he would fire coaches, when there's reason to fire coaches, where a coach would be on a hot seat. He's actually a little bit more forgiving and gives them uh, no, Yeah, to- but not from that perspective, not from the George Steinbrenner, he's going to fire everybody before George kind of calmed down later in life. And he would fire, you know, how many times he hired and fire Billy Martin. I right. mean, he was he was just insane at, at a certain point. But not to that level. But, you know, he's doing press conference after oh, games. He's doing, he's doing weekly radio spots. And you've got to deal with that as a head oh, coach. Yeah. Oh, Jerry said blah, blah, blah. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. And that's not good for the head coach. Um, no matter how you slice it. And Jeffrey Lurie, as I kind of wrote, is, you know, been very successful for people that don't realize it and has turned this organization into one of the most well-regarded in the NFL. And part of that is because he does his business behind the scenes for the most part. And he doesn't crave the camera. He doesn't crave Bob Angelo coming into uh, his office and, and putting a boom mic in front of his space. And that helps his coaching staff. Um, does it help the Eagles business-wise? They're not hurting. Right. So, They're not going to start a GoFundMe page yeah. for the Eagles. You're right on that. Yeah. So could they be more valuable by doing some of this other stuff? Probably. But he would rather win. And fans should certainly appreciate that. They should. And they almost pulled it off last year with the Super Bowl appearance. I did look it up. We were talking. Was it Ray? I asked. I thought it was Ray rather than Bob. Uh, teams that went to the Super Bowl, lost, and then go back again. Ray said only eight times eight, has it happened. Three, I believe. Three. Is it three? Three winners. Yeah, only three, three times has the team won. The team's gone back the next year eight times. So it's three and five in their record of doing it eight times. But it's only been once in the last 40 plus years. 
go back to the 70s. The Cowboys did it, lost the Super Bowl, went back and won. The Dolphins did it, losing to the Cowboys, then went and won the, the next year. I think it was the uh, Gary Upremian game. Um, the only team that's done it in the last 40 years is the New England Patriot team that lost to the Philadelphia Eagles, and they yeah. came back and beat the Rams the next year. That's it. The last 40-plus years, it's happened once. So the yeah. Eagles are trying to knock off a almost 40-year trend by going to the Super Bowl losing, but then getting back and winning it the next year. It's an up Yeah, but you know what? But obviously, statistically, and as Ray pointed out, you know, 57 is not a small sample size. Um, however... You know, all the good teams are in the AFC. You know, it 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 is set up for the Eagles. I can't even. There's going to be teams we know. There's going to be teams better than expected, worse than expected. Injuries are going to be a big part of it. But other than San Francisco, and maybe if you want to really go out on a limb, maybe Dallas. Some of these other teams that I've said, Detroit, Seattle, they might make the playoffs. They might win divisions. Well, Seattle's case, not even win the division. Right. But they might make the playoffs. I can't even envision them being a legitimate Super Bowl contender. There's not a lot of, of roadblocks for the Eagles to get back. Now, win it, that's a different they got, kettle They got to win that last game, John. They didn't win yeah. that last game last year. Yeah, that's they get different... there again. We're talking about winning that last game. Yeah, but if you're in the game, you got a better chance to go. win it than if you're not in. <laughs> that's, that's very right. true. And at a bare minimum, 50 50. Well, maybe slightly less because the Eagles were a slight underdog last year. But all right, if you're not in it, you can't win it. All right, brother. Uh, that was a fun show. I had a great uh, time. Uh, talking about Ray Dinger and Bob Angelo today. Thank you very much for booking both of those guys. Um, I enjoyed it greatly. I hope our our streamers did as well. Thank you very much for streaming in. We are just two weeks away from the opening of Eagles camp. I'm going to lose my party. He's going to be running in to cover Nick Sirianni well, at all. Y'all don't have a schedule, you know? by the way. Still Phil, don't oh, have are you hey, kidding Eagles. me? You got no shot. We got yeah. 14 days. You'll get a schedule in 13. You're yeah. not getting a schedule ahead. This is the Philadelphia Eagles we're talking about. Didn't yeah. we just talk for the last two hours how keeping news to a minimum and not letting anybody behind the curtain know what the hell's going on? Why the hell do you think you're going to get special preference? We need the plan, Eagles. We need to plan. Good just luck. like you need to plan. Yeah, just like the Eagles will jump on hard knocks. That'll be the show tomorrow. Eagles, surprisingly, okay, hard knocks. Yeah, right. Not happening. John won't be getting his Eagles schedule tomorrow, nor will we be announcing that the Eagles are going to be the hard knock team. Or at least we don't think so. Well, tune in tomorrow and find out. Partner, I'm in. You in for tomorrow? Yeah, let's do it. We will be right back here on Birds 365 in two and two. You've been listening to Birds 365, the destination for the passionate Eagles football fan who bleeds green. If it's Eagles football, we're talking about it. Debate inside the locker room and guests that are some of the greatest football minds from around the region. We hope you enjoyed the show. We know we had a blast. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on social media at 
Jacob Sports. See you next time on Birds 365. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.